This is Truth Encounter, and our exposure to God's truth today brings us to Deuteronomy chapter 33, a chapter where 120-year-old Moses is giving a father's blessing to each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Our study leader, Dr. Dave Wurtzen, is not 120, although sometimes he feels like it. Let's join him and discover how you can give thanks even if you know the exact date of your death and the Lord continues to refuse to answer your prayers in the affirmative. Here's our discussion leader, Dave Wurtzen. One of the things that we really need to do, we need to learn to do in our spiritual life is sometimes we need to learn to sing and to be thankful and to bless when we don't feel like it. Because the reality of the matter is, is that the Lord truly is among us. And what happens is that when you obey and when you begin to thank, when you begin to praise, that there's very, very powerful things that happen. And some of you, you say, well, Dave, as I look over my life right now, you know, my physical health isn't that good. The finances aren't that good. Just to be really honest with you, I just really don't see a lot to be thankful for. Well, I guarantee you, when we get through talking together in this time that we have, every one of you can look over a list of things that you can be thankful because we're going to sit down today and we're going to let a 120-year-old man talk to us. And we've been studying the last words of Moses, but you might not have realized that this guy was 120 years when he, he had this talk with the nation of Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 33, which is where we want to turn, Moses was just getting ready to die. He was not only 120, but unlike any of us human beings that really don't know exactly when our time is going to come, Moses knew exactly that his time had come. He was 120, and the Lord God of heaven had come to him and said, Moses, you are going to die. Now, how would you feel if you knew for sure that the Lord had come to you and told you you were going to die? And then you also said to the Lord, but Lord, I want to go into the land. I, my life work has been to bring these people in the land. I want to go into the land. Please let me go. And the Lord said, no. How many of you would get mad at the Lord if you asked him repeatedly, please let me do something, and he says no? Well, I just got to be honest with you. When the Lord says no to me about things, I get angry. How about you? And my anger begins to ferment inside of me. And so that when I'm working on the car last night and, and suddenly something goes wrong, suddenly, wham, something comes out of my thoughts. I don't usually say it verbally, but I'm just like you. It's in my thought. And I find that I'm like a teapot that when you jostle me, when you shake me a little bit, I spill. And over the last several weeks, to be honest with you, I've been spilling internally a lot of bad curses, bad things. Maybe you're like that. In the midst of this battle of growing close to the Lord and getting to know him, it's easy to start to have a curse to begin to be the, be the underpinning of our life. Many of you are facing all kinds of different stresses. And as you think about life, there's different things that are pulling you down. So you need to listen to this 120-year-old man that knew he was going to die. Because I've talked to a lot of 120-year-old men that, that thought they were going to die, and they thought that God had really, not a lot of 120-year-old men. I've talked to a lot of maybe 75 or 80-year-old men. We don't live quite as long as Moses did. 
But I've talked to a lot of older men and women who, when you're interacting with them, many times life has sucked them down. And that's why this older saint has so much to teach us. And what he does is he gives us several reasons that every single one of us can be thankful. I want you to think, first of all, about his blessing to Reuben. Look at it in Deuteronomy chapter 33. Now, Reuben in the tribes of Israel was not a good guy. He had committed incest with his father's concubine. And in Jacob's blessing over Reuben, he said that he would not prosper. He would, in fact, it was really not a blessing but a curse. And now, now we have centuries later... Many, many years later, in the founding of the nation, Moses is pronouncing a blessing over this tribe. And I want you to look at it, because if you say, Dave, I don't have anything to be thankful for, every one of you need to look at the blessing given to Reuben, because you can all thank the Lord for this. I know it for sure. You say, Dave, I don't believe you. Look what it says. It says, let Reuben live and not die, nor his men be few. What's the promise there? The promise to Reuben is the promise of existence. Reuben, as your tribe enters the land and as you take possession of your place and, and the part of the land that the Lord has given you, Reuben, you are going to live and not die. You're not going to be a mighty people, but I promise you existence. Every one of you can say, life is terrible, it's awful, it might be full of curses, but every one of you can say, I am existing. You know the incredible thing about that, though? Under the new covenant, Moses promised to Reuben existence. But under the new covenant, you know what Jesus says to you? Jesus says that you not only have existence, but in him, if you trust in him, you have what? Not just existence, but you have eternal existence. In other words, when Mary and Martha had lost their brother Lazarus, and he had become very ill, and then he had died. And Jesus waited to come and see him. In John chapter 11, Jesus finally comes to Mary and Martha. And he meets Mary on the road. And Mary says, if only you would have been here, Lord, my brother wouldn't have died. Then the Lord Jesus said an incredible thing. You remember those words in John 11? Jesus said, Mary, Mary, anyone that believes in me, even though they die, they will not die. They will live. Because whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall, what? Never die. Everyone repeat that with me. They shall never die. That's a promise, every one of you. In other words, Reuben was promised that his numbers wouldn't be few physically, that they would be few, but he would continue to endure. He would continue to exist. Reuben was promised the blessing of existence. Every one of you have that blessing of existence. But Jesus in Christ says, if you believe in him, that you have eternal existence. And so I would want every one of you to start. I want you to open your heart to that. I need to open my heart to that. You start on the bottom line and you thank God, thank God for my existence, my eternal existence in Christ. I want to really encourage you to take some time out to connect with Jesus and just express from your heart, thank the Lord Jesus for my eternal existence. Because the blessing of Reuben, the blessing of, exi of existence has been multiplied in infinity, just as much in an incredible way we have in Christ eternal existence. Look at the next thing. The next promise goes to Judah. This is the promise that I made to Judah. You can see Moses putting his hand on what, some of the leaders of Judah. And he says, Hear, O Lord, the cry of Judah, 
Bring him to his people. With his own hands, he defends his cause. Oh, be his help against his foes. And you can just picture a situation in Judah's history. Moses is looking down through the centuries as a prophet. And he's saying that there's going to come some times when Judah is on the battlefield. When Judah has been attacked by their enemies. And Judah has been isolated from their other tribes. And it doesn't look like there's anyone there to help. That's the idea when it says, oh, oh, hear the cry of Judah, bring him to his people. It's like Judah has been isolated in the battlefield. It looks like there's no hope for them. And the cry is, may they be reunited with the rest of the tribes. It also reminds us of the division of the kingdoms when Israel, the northern kingdom, was divided from the southern kingdom. And the cry for centuries... The cry for centuries, and it's still a cry among the Jewish people, may we be united instead of dispersed over all the world. And what is Moses' ultimate promise to Judah? He says, with his own hands he defends his cause, oh, be his help. And that is a cry of the Lord, oh, be his help against his foes. The Lord promises us, just like he promised Judah, that he'll hear that cry for help. If you cry for help today, Part of our gathering together should be a time to be able to cry for help. Across this audience, there's all kinds of challenges that are coming into our lives. Physical illness. Many of our church family have been laid off just recently and thrown into that whole trauma of trying to find a job. And, and those of you that have gone through that, you know the incredible shakeup in your life when suddenly your security is taken away. And we gather together as the Lord's people to say, Lord, we need your help. The adversaries are against us. We need your help. In the New Testament, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Because in Christ, remember that the Apostle Paul told us that all the promises of the Old Testament become yes for us in Christ. It's an incredible thing. In the New Testament, we have become the people of God. There's an incredible promise. You can thank the Lord, first of all, for your existence. Second of all, you can thank the Lord for his protection over you. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 13. The Lord says in verse 5, Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Why? Because the Lord knows that if you build your life on money, if you build your life on the things that this life can, can give you, if you think that that's going to protect you, It'll be a false hope. And what you need to do is to realize that your real protection, what's going to really hold your life together, is only your living relationship with the Lord God. Uh, last Monday morning, I ate breakfast with a young man that went to the same high school that I did in Zellwood, Florida. And I hardly ever do that because there was only about 200 in, uh, in my school when I went there. It was a Christian high school. And when I left, evidently something really went wrong because they dropped down to 70, then they dropped down to 50. And now there's hardly anyone there. It's just a day school. So I don't meet a lot of people that went to my high school. But Anthony went to my high school. Anthony was a Jamaican boy. During some political turmoil in, in Jamaica back in the 70s, his daddy sent him up to go to the high school, the Christian high school where I attended. And he's younger than I am, so I had already got on to college. But Anthony arrived in Central Florida, Jamaican kid. Graduated, went down to Boca Raton, Florida, and he began to work in the real estate industry. Now, some of you think that you would be really happy if you could only have it all. In fact, on Saturday night, I was down by the Inland Waterway, and we were walking with a friend up and down the Inland Waterway, and there was one yacht after another. And to be honest with you, I was thinking, what a life. 
What do you, what do you think? You know, I, when I was a kid, I asked one of the guys that was working on one of those yachts, how much does it cost? He says, if you have to ask, don't. Saturday night, going from one yacht to the next and seeing people go out at night and going to go fishing all night, I said, man, what a life. Wouldn't that be incredible? Wouldn't that really be protection? Wouldn't that, that be security? Wouldn't that be joy? Monday morning, I'm sitting across the table in the Marriott Hotel with Anthony, and Anthony says, in an incredible way, as I started moving up through my college training, my dad and I started a real estate company, and Anthony ended up being one of the major real estate brokers in southern Florida. He had his yacht. He had multi-millions, just a young guy. In the SNL crisis, in the SNL crisis, overnight, he had paid all of his loans up to date, for you that are businessmen, he had maintained all of his obligations, all of his properties were all being well managed. When he went to bed one night, he was a multimillionaire. When he woke up the next morning, he was in chapter 11. And Anthony told me, he says, Dave, I sat up my office and I realized that financially my family would be a lot better off if I just blew my brains off. Now, what is life to you? Who is your protector? Who is the one that sustains your life? You see, I'm really concerned that some of you could miss it. There's nothing wrong with prosperity. There's nothing wrong with yachts. There's nothing wrong with developing property. But what Anthony was looking across the table saying, Dave, what I realized was that my family wouldn't be better off. Because life isn't about yachts, and it's not about property. It's not about houses. Life is about relationships. Life is about love. Life is about being together. Most of all, Anthony said, life is about my Savior who will never leave me or forsake me. Look at the words of promise to the Lord in Hebrews chapter 13. God promises, don't let your life be controlled by the love of money. You need to be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you or forsake you. Amen? The SNL can do what they want to do. In fact, Anthony went on to tell me that, that, that guys took over his property that couldn't even work for his company before this crisis hit. And the Lord helped him to be gracious and kind to just total chaos in his business. Why? Because the Lord says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And he said it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. With everything gone, I realized that everything was still here. Everything that really counts is right here. Because never will he leave us or forsake us. Some of you need that. And then he quotes another verse from Deuteronomy. That's one of the reasons why it kind of pulls our study in Deuteronomy together. Look at verse 6. It says, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. You know what makes me uptight, it makes me afraid, is that as life starts to slip away, you wonder, man, how's it all going to work out? And, and is everything going to be all right? And, and we start being afraid. How about you? And when we're afraid, we're angry. And the Lord comes to us today... And through his prophet Moses and through the application of the new covenant to us, he says, don't be afraid. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I'm going to be your helper. Don't be afraid. What can man do to me? Do you ever worry? Do you ever worry about what, someone, what some man or woman might do to you? I do. But you know, as I grow older, the Lord is teaching me more and more. The only one that you really need to fear is the Lord God in heaven, Right? And what the Lord is saying is that we need to reverence him, but because Christ died for us, because he rose again, he promises that the only one that we really need to fear in the whole universe has now become our savior and our father and our lover of our souls forever and ever. And he says, never will I leave you. 
never will I forsake you. You're starting to feel blessed yet? You can thank the Lord, number one, for what? Tell me. You can thank the Lord, number one, for all of you are existing. You're all here. That's a good way to put it. It's okay. We can say, number one, thank the Lord for our existence. Everyone say that one. Number one, thank the Lord for our existence. Number two, we can thank the Lord for protection. Say that with me. Number two, you can thank the Lord for his protection. Thank God for the teaching of his word. Look at verses 8 through 11, Deuteronomy 33. There was an entire tribe in ancient Israel that was dedicated to the teaching of the word of God. It says about Levi, he said, your Thummim and your Urim belong to the Lord you favor, to the man you favored. You tested him at Massah. You contended with him at the waters of Meribah. Those were two instances in the history of Israel where Israel had tempted the Lord. Uh, they tested the Lord and said the Lord wasn't going to provide for them in the wilderness. The Lord worked through two Levites, Aaron and Moses, to stand for the Lord and to acknowledge his blessings. And one, in one of the instances, the Lord uh, staved off a plague. In another instance, he brought water from the rock. In fact, in both instances, we end up having water given to the people right out of the wilderness. And Aaron and Moses were the ones that were the agents that God used to bring about that blessing. And so that's what it's talking about. This Levitical tribe was blessed in these two instances when all the rest of the people were contending with the Lord and they were bitter like I get and the way that you get. There were some Levites that stood for the Lord's provision and the Lord's ability to meet needs. It says, he said to his father and his mother, I have no regard for them. He did not recognize his brothers or acknowledge his own children. Now, that's really a hard statement. What is he saying there? He's saying, Dave, Moses seems to be praising these Levites for not remembering their family and not remembering their brothers. What does that mean? It's very hard for us to understand, but, but it's very important for us to understand that in life, there are some sacred trusts. For example, if you were on the beach at D-Day and the order comes through from General Eisenhower, you need to get in the boat and go across English Channel and hit the beach. A soldier doesn't turn to his lieutenant and say, I love my wife and my kids, I'm not going. What would you think of a father that said that before they attacked Normandy? Now, in our modern society, a lot of us would say, you know, with the kind of thinking that we often have, a lot of our society will say, man, that's right, he shouldn't go. He should stay home with his wife and kids. But some of you that understand the, the nature of sacred trust, you know that there come some times in life when if you really are going to love your family, and if you really are going to have a sense and a hold of things that really count, that you got to put your life right on the line and you have to, in one sense, disregard your family because there's a higher sacred trust that's at stake. In that case, looking back on it, millions of Jews being butchered, uh, a madman trying to take over the world, the allies allied against them, demanded that thousands of our boys gave their lives on that beach. A sacred trust. And that should mean a great deal to us when we have Veterans Day. Don't lose the meaning of that sacred trust. We would do very well as, as, as Americans. The Lord tells us that we need to be good citizens. I challenge you to go to Washington, D.C. You owe it to yourself to walk through Arlington Cemetery. You need to walk through there. You need to go to the Vietnam Memorial. You need to walk down and, and look at those names. Those are sacred trusts because it will make you not forget. It'll make you thankful. It'll make you appreciative. 
But you know, as believers, we have that sacred trust. You know, some of you say, well, Jesus brings so much love and joy in our heart. Yes, he does. And that's one of the things that we've been singing about, what we've been talking about today. But you know what? Jesus also can divide your family. Jesus can take a son and a daughter and they can be born again. A son and a daughter can come to know Christ and and believe that he died on the cross for their sins. But they might be in a home where mom and dad don't believe in Jesus. And you know, Jesus in the hearts of those kids can raise tremendous conflict in that home. Because Jesus said, I have not come to bring peace, but sometimes I bring a sword. And Jesus said some very strange words. He said, sometimes I'll divide fathers and mothers, children from their parents, husbands and wives. You see, Jesus is the ultimate ground of reality. And Jesus is loving and he is kind and he is gracious. But, when, but, but he also is the great divider. In other words, if you don't respond to him, it creates tremendous animosity in your soul against him. It's a very real thing. I want you to understand that. As you grow closer to the Lord Jesus, as you commit your life to him, I want you to know that you are getting in touch with ultimate reality. And I promise you that in death, for eternity, as you go into eternity, you will find out he was the ultimate protector, the ultimate shield. That's why you need to go for it. But I also want you to know that if you decide for him, that some of those around you that don't decide for him, it's going to mean a breaking of relationship. Not because you want to break relationship. Because we need to maintain all those relationships, but it's going to cost something. When I taught last Sunday... A Jewish man came up to me after the service and he was saying, boy, the Lord really touched my heart today. I said, tell me your story a little bit. He said, I received Christ as my Savior just a few years ago, an older guy. I said, well, what happened? You received Christ. He said, my whole family, just that was it. My whole family said, you're no longer my son. That's hard. Now, should I say to him, well, man, you shouldn't have accepted Christ. Now, this man didn't try to break relationship with his family. He loves his family. He loves his family more now than he ever loved them. Should I say to him, well, you need to just forget about this Messiah stuff, Jesus, the Messiah. Just forget about that. You need to love your family. Is that true? No. Because we're talking about ultimate reality, friend. And that's what Moses is talking about. The Levites understood ultimate reality. They knew there were times when you needed to decide for God against everything else because it was a sacred trust. And now the Lord, many years after they made some of those initial stands in the, in the wilderness wanderings, Moses is remembering that. And the Lord God of heaven is saying, you're going to be the tribe because you remember the sacred trust. You're going to be the tribe that is going to watch over the word and you're going to guard my covenant. Look what it says in verse 10. He teaches your precepts to Jacob and your law to Israel. Those are really strategic words under the Old Testament. The tribe of Levi was responsible to go out through all the tribes of Israel and open up this book and to teach what it calls here the precepts of God, the Torah, the instruction of God. You know, some of you might say, well, you know, church really isn't that important. As we gather together, I kind of do it. It kind of makes me feel better. I want you to know that what we're doing these minutes is your life. And I want you to know that to me, it's a sacred trust. And I also want you to know that I desperately need your prayers to be able to do it. Because some of the reasons is just that there's a tremendous warfare that goes on about the teaching of the Word of God. It makes us very vulnerable. Having the courage just to teach you line upon line and precept upon precept is a very simple thing you might say to obey. But there's tremendous forces aligned to take us away from that. As I travel around the country and talk to different parts of God's family, I'm amazed at how much of God's family today 
It's turning away from the instruction of the Torah of God. They don't know what the Bible's saying. They sit under it for years. No one ever puts it together for them. No one ever explained anything to them. They just have a little verse here, a little verse here. It's a sacred trust. One of the things that we want to thank the Lord for, right in your lap, you have the revelation of God. And our purpose is to help you take the message that is in the Bible on your lap and get it into your life. We trust you will spread the word to a friend about this opportunity to encounter the truth. Until the next time, I want to encourage you to remember that if a 120-year-old man could give a blessing, so can you today.